0: Well, good morning, airline. It is a beautiful Sunday as we get to dive more into what Easter means. As Pastor Zach diving more into it this morning, I just want to get ahead and go ahead and invite you guys to stand up and worship with us this morning as we worship our one and only true King. Here we go. <laughs>
1: just want to welcome you here. So excited that you are here today, that we are able to worship together. I just want to take a moment just to celebrate uh, everything God did last weekend. And so we had a fantastic weekend starting off on Saturday. uh, We challenged you, church, that we wanted to get together 3,000 packaged eggs to give out. And the day of Saturday, we had just at 6,000 eggs that we were able to give out. So it absolutely crushed it. But even more important, just passing out eggs, we we had um, over 300 kids at the Easter egg event. And so close to 500 total, including adults. And so just a fantastic weekend. And then we were able to have conversations with folks. And then Miss Beth shared the gospel and shared the resurrection story with all the kids. And uh, so we were able to share the gospel loudly there at the event. So we just want to praise Jesus for that. then as well, Sunday, we had a fantastic day as we gathered together for sunrise. And then great time of breakfast, so thank you to everybody that that cooked, and as well everybody that volunteered on Saturday, and then just a fantastic time of worship on Sunday. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. I know it's kind of rainy outside, it's kind of gross, um, but we gather together today, and I hope we have the same excitement and anticipation for today as we did last Sunday. Because here's the reality, church, the same Jesus that we worshiped last week as resurrected and King of kings and Lord of lords is the same risen Jesus we worship today. He has not changed because of seven days. He is the same risen King. And so let's worship him as such. Let's pray. Father God, would you be big today? God, help us to worship you with everything that we have and everything that we are. You're worthy of every ounce of worship. And so move in our midst today, and we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand back up and worship.
2: Is what we are here to do today to worship our holy God no one is like you no one is beside you you are the holy God father when we begin to understand that our Christianity is rooted in your holiness we can begin to live a life that is honoring to you father may we have this time set aside that his worship be a tr- sweet aroma to you Lord, as Pastor Zach comes, Lord, speak through your word that we may hear and that we won't just hear, but that we will do. Lord, we love you. Thank you for being a holy God who saw fit to redeem us from the beginning of time. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you, Quez, and the band for leading us in worship this morning. As we start this new series, we're continuing the theme of Easter. And we'll be talking about the implications of Easter. That if we're honest, it's easy to think of Easter morning and the what we celebrated last week in the Easter story as kind of just a a good ending to the Jesus narrative, that in the end, the good guy wins, that the bad guys, they may have put him to death, but through some means of literary and poetic justice, Jesus is resurrected from the grave and wins in the end. And while that is true, the implications of Easter far extend beyond just a good narrative. That the resurrection of Christ has meaning for us even today. And so it was interesting. I was doing some, I came across this article that was talking about these kind of inventions that have happened by mere accident but the implications far exceed the invention. In the early 1940s, there was a man by the name of Percy LeBaron Spencer, who was doing some research on some shortwave radios, or short radio shortwave, whatever the word is. And while he's conducting his research, he notices that as he's playing with this thing, the candy bar in his pocket begins to melt. First of all, I'd love a man that just carries around a chocolate candy bar in his pocket. But what he stumbled upon was microwave. How many of you have used a microwave this week? Another one in 1928, a a man by the name of Dr. Alexander Fleming. He was doing some research on some bacterial cultures and he left for vacation for a few weeks and there were some he forgot to clean out and put up. And upon returning from vacation, he found these cultures and there was a fungus that was growing on the cultures. And upon further examination, he discovered penicillin. Anybody ever had to use penicillin before? These next two I particularly like. Ruth Graves Wakefield. She was the co-owner of what was known as the Toll House Inn. She began playing and experimenting with putting toppings inside of cookies. And she invented the chocolate chip cookie. How many of you enjoy a chocolate chip cookie? In 1904 at the world's fair, they they came, there was an issue that one of the ice cream vendors, he was running out of spoons and cups. Well, thankfully the vendor next to him by the name of Ernest Hamwe, was operating a waffle stand and quickly began to notice that the ice cream guy was running out of cups and spoons. And so he began to roll his waffles up so that they could put their ice cream inside of the waffles. Thus became the waffle cone. Anybody ever eaten a waffle cone before? So while these things take place in a moment in history, there were implications well beyond just that particular moment in history. And the same is true of the resurrection. We make no mistake about it: all of these things were pure accidents. The resurrection was no accident, but it carries implications even into today. And so I'm just going to give you the big picture for this three-week series that we're doing, talking about the implications of the resurrection. And it's this, the resurrection is more than just a good ending to the Jesus narrative, but has significant implications for our lives today. It's more than just a good ending. It's more than just something that we rally around once a year to celebrate that Jesus was resurrected and then spend the rest of our year not even thinking about it. So over these next three weeks, we're gonna be unpacking that. And so today we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to go ahead and give you, and I know I typically do this at the end, but I'm going to mix it up today. And I want to go ahead and give you the central idea up front. It's really simple. Because of the resurrection, believers have hope. Because of the resurrection, believers have hope. Now, here's why this is important. You and I, we live in a world that is starving for just a scrap of hope. Like, just look at the world around us. There is a desire and a longing for some semblance of hope. But the tragedy is, Even as believers, we can oftentimes walk around and act just as hopeless as everybody else. Even though as believers, we have the only reason for hope because of the resurrection. And not only that, do we have the only reason for hope? We're the only ones that have true hope. And so as we go throughout our lives, it should be a marked difference between our hope and the hope of the world around us. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is going to unpack the resurrection, and just to give you some context, we've talked about the church at Corinth before, but there's some issues at the church at Corinth, and one of these issues that Paul is dealing with is, some, some teaching has crept into the church at Corinth where they were denying, not, not necessarily the resurrection of Christ, but that resurrection was even possible. That there's no such thing as the resurrection from the dead, that when you're dead, that's it, you're dead. And Paul notices and analyzes very quickly that there's a significant problem with that mindset because to deny the resurrection means to deny that Christ has been resurrected. So there's three things we're going to look at this morning. First is the centrality of the resurrection. The centrality of the resurrection. For sake of time, since we're looking at Almost 30 verses, we're not going to read through it all at once, but kind of make our way through the text beginning in verse 1. So the centrality of the resurrection. So Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So let's just work our way through this. So Paul from the outset says, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preach to you. What is the gospel? It's the good news of Christ, that when we were dead in our sins, Christ came to redeem us. He says you've received it and you stand in it and it's, which, it's the mechanism by which you are being saved. Don't let that term being saved throw you. Because what we have to understand when scripture speaks of salvation, it's past, present, and future. So in a sense, we are saved, past tense, and then present, we are being saved, and then future, we will be saved. What does that process look like? We are past tense saved through justification. We are present tense being saved through sanctification, and we will future tense be saved in glorification. So we are saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin, and we will be saved from the presence of sin. So he says, this is the gospel If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Notice what Paul's saying here. Paul's not saying that they had a true faith in the true gospel and that they believed the true gospel, but their faith was in vain. That's not at all what Paul is saying here. What he's saying is they have believed a vain gospel. They haven't actually believed the true gospel if they deny this. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So, what is the message that Paul preached? First and foremost, that he came for our sins, that he died. For those sins. That's the message that Paul preached. That he was buried. But then notice that glorious truth that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. It's oftentimes been said, and it's worth repeating, that why is the resurrection significant? Because the cross is the payment for our sin, and the resurrection is the receipt that the payment has processed. So it all works together. How do we know that the payment went through that Easter morning? How do we know that our sin debt was paid? Christ conquered the grave. So he says, all this in accordance with scripture. And then Paul goes through this list that to verify all of this, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me. How do—so if the church at Corinth has questions about this whole resurrection thing, Paul is giving them a list of people that they can go check it out. Okay, you need verification this has to happen. Go talk to Peter. Go talk to the 12. Go talk to the 500. You can even talk to me to verify that this happened. But then Paul says this, for I am the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Notice Paul's response to the resurrection. He sees the grace of God. He says, okay, I'm going to work harder than anybody else. Why? Because of the resurrection that he's viewing the resurrected Savior. He says, what what else can I hold back after seeing the risen King? Then he says, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. I hope you see in this, the centrality of the resurrection to the gospel as a whole that the resurrection of Christ is not this cute little addition to the gospel to make things interesting, but the resurrection is central to the gospel as a whole. So to bring this home, how does this give us hope? Hear me, the resurrection offers hope that the gospel is true. How do we know that this whole Jesus message is true? How do we know that the gospel is true? How do we know that this, there is good news that is available to us today? How do we know this to be true? Christ conquered the grave. That's how we know it to be true. What a travesty it would have been for Jesus to offer all of this teaching, for Jesus to make all the statements he made about salvation, for Jesus to talk about no one comes to the Father but by me and then stayed in the grave. We would have no means of knowing anything Jesus said was true, but we have hope that the gospel is true. Why? Because we have a king who is not bound by the grave. The resurrection offers hope that the gospel is true. But we move from the centrality of the resurrection then to point to the consequences of the resurrection. Picking up in verse 12, he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So Paul's already unpacked, it's central to the gospel that Christ has been raised from the dead. So how are you saying there is no resurrection? But for sake of argument, Paul says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. So, if Christ has not been raised, if Christ remained in the tomb, if Christ did not conquer death, then the whole message is pointless. It's meaningless. The whole concept of faith is meaningless. That's what Paul's saying. So if Christ has not been raised, and then he continues and he says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. So not only that, is it meaningless? We're committing blasphemy if Christ has not been raised that we're lying about God if Christ has not been raised. He says, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And then notice this, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins that if Christ has not been raised, if the resurrection did not take place, then you and I are still under the wrath and the penalty of our sin. If Christ has not been raised, not only that, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Not only are we still in our sin, but there is no hope for what comes next. That if Christ has not been raised, then those friends, family members, and loved ones who have gone on before us, they're just gone. They've perished. There's no hope. And then notice this last phrase. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Just feel the weight of that sentence. Paul says if we have hope in this life only, of all people, we should be pitied. For this short momentary life that we've been given, this short span that we have on this earth, if this is it, we should be pitied. I'll be honest with you, church, as a pastor, I've preached a lot of funerals. And I've preached funerals of folks that, just to be honest, I would never assert to know someone's salvation, but there's been funerals I've walked into and preached them, I'm sitting there going, it would have had to have been a bedtime miracle for this person to go to heaven. And you talk about walking into a room where there is not a sliver of hope. But then I've also done some funerals for some saints who have entered into glory. And yes, there is sadness in that moment. There is still grieving in that moment. But you talk about the room just being filled with the aroma of hope that I'm not worried about putting this person in the ground because I'm going to see them again. That's hope. But notice what Paul's saying, that this short, momentary life, if Christ has not been raised, then these these 50, 60, 70, 80 years on this earth that we get, it's meaningless. It's pointless. And we should be pitied. That every trial we go through, every dark night we go through, every temptation that we go through, every heartache and heartbreak, every tear that we've cried, if this is it, it's pointless. If Christ has not been raised. So the resurrection gives us hope of a reconciled relationship of a reconciled relationship. Because going back to what Paul has said, that if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. We have hope for nothing after this, if Christ has not been raised. But since Christ has been raised, our faith is not futile. We're not in our sins anymore and we have hope that even though in this short momentary life, there may be heartache, there may be tears, there may be dark nights, there may be difficulties, but this is not it. Because Christ has been raised. So we move from the centrality and the consequences of the resurrection where the resurrection offers hope that the gospel is true, but the consequences offers hope of a reconciled relationship. But then point three, we see the conqueror of the resurrection. I I love what Paul does in verse 20. Because it's almost like if we're not going to read through it, this is going to be the last paragraph we read. But if we were to read through all of chapter 15, verse 20, Paul kind of takes a praise break. He's got this argument that's going where he's talking about if the resurrection wasn't true, if the resurrection didn't happen, here's what's going to— and he's going to pick that up towards the end of chapter 15. But right here in chapter 20, and so Paul's got to stop for just a moment. And notice what he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It's like he just can't take it any longer. All this talk of Christ not being resurrected, Paul goes, I want you to know as a matter of fact, he has been resurrected, and he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That you may have lost loved ones, you may have lost family members, but he's the first fruits of those. There's hope. He says, for as by a man came death, by a man has has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive." That the first Adam going all the way back to the book of Genesis sinned. And through Adam's sin, death came into the world. But the last Adam, Jesus made resurrection a reality. That through the first Adam, sin entered in. Through the last Adam, the payment for sin has come. So Paul is giving the distinction here. He says, "'But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits; Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet.'" Notice that Jesus is the King. And Paul's message is very simple here. That he's going to turn the king back to God, the kingdom back to God the Father. But what must take place before it's turned back to God the Father? After destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Paul is quoting Psalm 110 here. Destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign. Make no mistake about it, church, Jesus is not waiting to start his reign. He is actively King of Kings and Lord of Lords right now. So he's must reign until, I love the imagery that's here, until all of his enemies are put under his feet. Just think about the imagery here that the king seated upon his throne and every enemy of the gospel, everyone that may persecute Christians, what does it mean? None of it's meaningless. None of it's pointless. And then let's just bring this personal. I want you to hear me this morning that every single trial you've gone through in life, every single temptation, every single heartache, heartbreak, tear that you've cried, every single disappointment, all of it will one day find its rightful place as the footstool of the King of Kings. That should give us hope that he is the conqueror, that he conquered the grave, that he was not bound in the tomb. And that one day, here's what the hope is, are you ready? One day, the resurrection offers hope that Jesus will overcome. No matter how dark it may get, no matter how bad it may get, Jesus is the king that will overcome. Why? Because he's already conquered the grave. He says, for you must reign until he has put all all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The the day is coming when the conquered king, when the conquering king will even destroy death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. He's talking about Jesus not being subjected. He says, when all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. In this last phrase, that God may be all in all. <laughs> that when all this takes place, God will be fully seen and recognized for who he is is. That those who profess Christ will see God to be all in all. Those who reject Christ will see God to be all in all. As the band comes back to the stage, we prepare to close. As we think through the implications of Easter, we've got a few more topics we're going to cover, but I want to start here today. Why? Because the resurrection offers us hope. Because of the resurrection, believers, we have hope. We have hope, we have hope that the gospel is true. We have hope that we're able to have a personal, we're able to have a reconciled relationship to a holy God that goes into eternity. And lastly, we have hope that Jesus will overcome that Jesus will make all things right. So my question for us this morning is first and foremost, do we have that hope today? You may be sitting here going, I I don't, Pastor Zach, I don't have that hope. Can I just invite you to come and talk to me, talk to Pastor Mike, talk to Pastor Clint. We would love to introduce you to that hope and share with you how you can have hope. But the second, I think more pressing question for those of us that are believers, are we living in that hope? Are we living in that hope? We're living in the hope that the gospel is true. Are we living in the hope that we have a reconciled relationship to our Heavenly Father? Are we living in the hope that Jesus will overcome? Are we living in it? It's not an easy question to answer. But we have that hope. If we will just simply look to it if we'll just simply lift our eyes to the risen King, we can live and walk in that hope today. So I just want to invite you, if you need to come pray, this altar is over, if you need somebody to pray with me, Pastor Mike, Pastor Clint will be standing off to the side. Let's live in that hope that we don't live as people who don't have hope. We don't live as people that should be pitied because Christ conquered the grave. We have hope. So let's live that way. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We praise you. God, we pray now we would examine our hope Is our hope in you, or is our hope in something else? Is our hope in the risen King, or is it in something else? Do we even have hope today? So God, would you take these truths and drill them deep into our hearts, and God, we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and respond today.
0: I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory.
1: so much for being here today so great to be able to worship together just want to give you a couple quick announcements before we Smith today, so of course be back, we're starting back on Wednesday nights, we started back this past Wednesday um, with supper and then various Bible studies um, for all age groups, so encourage you to be back for midweek, Um, and then of course next Sunday continuing to dive into the implications of Easter. A couple of things I want to highlight for you real quick, Um, so coming up May 6th. Right? I wrote it on the right date. Mother-daughter T. And so we got several folks that are putting that together. So mothers, daughters, um, even if you don't have a daughter, okay, you were at one point a daughter, right? Is that how that works? Um, so even if you don't have a daughter ladies your ladies you're still more than welcome to come to that tea. Encourage you to be a part of it. They're also going be putting together at that um, some some goodie baskets for the uh, choices pregnancy resource center. And so encourage you to be a part of that. And then as well, you may have saw us put some stuff out this week. Um, VBS. Who's ready to say yes to VBS? All right, so VBS, Monday through Friday, June 12th to the 16th, 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Right? Got the times right? 9 to 12. And here's why we're doing it in the morning. Instead of competing with sports practices in the afternoons and evenings and I know everybody gets busy during summer afternoons, we're going to do it first thing in the morning. And So here's, here's my experience. You ready? There's more kids that come in the mornings, okay? And so we want to be as effective as we can in discipling our children, but also reaching out to the community and being able to serve our community through VBS and having the opportunity to share the gospel. And so that's what VBS is going to be looking like this year. If you're interested in volunteering, um, you can see Mike and he'll get you plugged in. Um, I think we need a lot of people to help, demonstrate the dance moves for the songs, Um, and so we need people to volunteer for that. I'm just teasing. But again, thank you so much for being here. Go ahead and put those things on your calendar. Be in prayer for those. Um, You can see a few other things in your bulletin, but let me pray for us. Father God, we give you this day, we give you the glory and the honor. God, be with us this week to live as a people who have hope in something eternal. That we have hope that's greater than anything in the world around us. And we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.